Sayonar. Happy spooky season. Happy spooky season. I I have read, you know, I try to stay away from Twitter because it's really intense, can be toxic, but I saw someone mm-hmm. like criticize the idea of spooky season and I completely disagreed. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love it. What what's what's wrong with spooky season? I think it should be year round. Um we should really embrace <laughs> all of the monsters that mm-hmm. we celebrate during spooky season. We should acknowledge ghosts and werewolves and vampires all year round. Um, they don't just disappear. Because, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> they don't just disappear because it's November 1st. Um, but... Well, but the lore of it all is not just fun this time of year. I do think this time of year makes it more fun because it is starting to get cold. It's a transitional time into like the death phase of the wheel of the year. Um, sorry for getting a little pagan on you, but I, I think that's, you know, whether you acknowledge those specific words or concepts or not, that feeling is something we all have. And so I think that's why we get into it around this time of year. It's it's definitely got old roots, as we know. So I think it's only natural, you know? Yes. We, we've talked about this in other episodes. I think especially when we talked about Christmas ghost stories last year, where mm-hmm. this part of the year is when that threshold and that veil between realms, um, yeah, there's this closeness between realms. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, this is this is my argument for the continuation of spooky season. <laughs> um, I feel the sadness that Halloween is upon us. Yeah, it um, really is. I fully intend to continue to read ghost stories, to continue to commune with all of the monsters and and eat candy corn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're just into this stuff. And I think that is definitely a year-round quality for both of us. But this is the funnest part of the year to be into it. And it's fun to see everybody else participating. Um, I'm definitely getting more into the horror genre in general, or trying to kind of test my boundaries because I've not been traditionally very open to it. Yeah. And I just feel like this is, it, it can almost be healing in a weird way to like confront the things that scare you or make you feel unsafe. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I had that realization um, for the first time when I started watching Hitchcock films at the Paramount Theater. They had mm-hmm. something called Hitchcock Week in the middle of the summer. And it was that first time where I was like, feeling scared or anxious because of something that I'm watching or listening to can be really healing. And that transfers into what you're reading. There's this Mm -hmm. like release almost and comfort in the horror genre. Yeah. And feeling, I guess for me, it's like, I'm getting used to it specifically for film. I'm, I'm definitely cool most of the time with books, but horror film for me has always been just really nightmare inducing. And I've felt really just, 
out of control with it. Like I, I'm like, I can sit down and watch it and know that it's not real, obviously, and even enjoy parts of it. But then my subconscious mind is doing all kinds of crazy stuff with it. And as I get slightly more used to it and that isn't happening as much, I feel really empowered. I feel really great. You know, I think that's that's the whole thing with confronting your fear is to realize that it can't really touch you. And and that's a really good feeling. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I'm sure that there's some really great literature out there exploring, you know, the human fascination with horror. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that every year we just collectively push it a little further. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the first spooky season that we celebrated on the podcast. I was just like really scared um, that I had to read something that was scary and um, not quite for me, but. And remind me, was it Dracula that you read for our first spooky episode? It was. And yeah, you went hard. (laughs) As you know, I have never recovered. I'm, I'm a vampire now. Um, (laughs) No, I, I mean, it's, it has been life-changing in terms of like just who I am and what I love um and my even my aesthetic I think has kind of become a bit more gothic and Mm -hmm. yeah it was a turning a personal turning point (laughs) but but I remember being like oh that's just not what I like or what I read um and little did I know (laughs) yeah yeah no I've been slowly slowly getting more and more into it. And um, I'm fully here for all the ghost stories and the paranormal. Uh, that's, that's really my main jam. Um, and I do, I do believe that the veil is thinnest this time of year and that we can kind of touch in with our, our ancestors and our spirit realm. And, and um, you know, I don't know if ghost is the word I would use for my reality, but uh, I love the idea. I love the idea of it. Yeah. It's, it's an emotional and difficult episode that we're diving into only because um, we loved celebrating. I mean, just loved celebrating everything with with our dearest Joe, um, mm-hmm. who who we lost in in July, and he just was such a holiday person. And he was. Um, we miss him in everything that we do, but thinking about the books that he read for, for the holidays, especially for Halloween and the enthusiasm that he carried for, for dressing (laughs) up and for just like having fun is just, just at the forefront of uh, our minds, especially as we head into some of these these days and these moments and these weeks that are just so rich with celebration. Yeah. He really was a holiday person (laughs) and it did start in October. He loved Halloween. He loved this episode that we did, I think was the first one in our first season that I noticed Joe got really into. (laughs) Um, he he was really into his homework that he had to do for this episode. And I feel like that was the episode where 
on this podcast, we started to really just feel delighted by this thing that we're doing and, and this this little thing that we're creating together. Um, whereas before it was this idea that we were, you know, trying to figure out who we were as a podcast. And I don't know why. I just feel like the spooky episode from season one was when as a trio, the three of us really clicked on the pod and um and yeah that holiday energy that was so joe it's just like a, a person who loves fun and who loves to celebrate and so yeah we can celebrate any little thing and have fun with it but when there's like a big occasion a birthday a holiday um he lit up and made it so special so it's it's never going to be the same without him, uh, not to be too dour, but it will never be the same without Joe. But we are carrying him with us uh, today and and definitely remembering some of the most fun times we've had <laughs> yes. with Joe on and, the podcast and otherwise. Yeah. And, you know, some of the ways that I've been honoring Joe and celebrating this season that I would advise and suggest if you're in Austin or in the Austin area, um, one event that he always would try to get us to go to, but, you know, I'm grateful that I said yes for the first time last year, <laughs> is this event called Scare for a Cure. And it's located in Maynard, Texas, in this ghost town that's like been built and it's like a set. Mm. And it's this beautiful little fake Western town, but there's an organization that donates all the proceeds to their local community and to breast cancer research. And mm -hmm. it's completely volunteer run and there's actors and people designing props and not only props, but storylines so these are really mm -hmm. rich experiences that have it's basically a haunted house but there's a plot there's quests and like puzzles um and they just get so creative with it and it is a really beautiful experience and really scary and there's like blood cannons and no. you're gonna ruin your clothes but it, <laughs> it is so much fun and it really is a wonderful experience and the team there works just so hard um, and in the springtime the same organization does something called quest night which is like a dungeons and dragons themed role play and so if you've seen that photo of joe wearing a wizard hat um <laughs> That was from our quest night excursion. And so if you can bundle your celebration with making a change, that is like yeah. the best way to to celebrate and honor Joe. Yes. <laughs> um he was he was all about it for Scare for a Cure. And it looks like it is sold out this year, but put it on your calendar for next year. It is a whole experience and yeah. There's a labyrinth where there's a man with a chainsaw that chases you, which <laughs> I opted out of this year because I was so scared. Um but it really is just 
so much fun. And Joe, like, he would crawl. He would. Oh, my gosh. He was so <laughs> into it. Um, and, you know, and looking back and holding on to our memories with Joe, I'm just so grateful that we just had so much fun with him. Yeah. So. Me too. <laughs> I'm so glad that you went to that last year. And and I went this past a... week and it was just so much fun. It's hard, but it's like, it's just good to, to keep on certain traditions that, that we started with Joe. But yep, I, I agree. But yeah. Um, so of course we read a spooky title. Um, oh yeah. And you know, in addition to the book I'm going to talk about today, I've been reading other scary, or I should say spooky books, specifically one called Everyone Knows Your Mother is a Witch by Rivka Galchin. Mm, yes. And that book was awesome. It's also historical fiction based on German witch trials. And so it's it's super fun. It's a super easy read. It's super light, even though it's really heavy material. She just created a gorgeous book out of this tale. And then I've been reading some really scary short stories by Brian Evanson. Um, the title of the book is The Glassy Burning Floor of Hell. So pretty metal, <laughs> uh, I'd say. And yeah, he's great. I've been wanting to read him for a long time. So I'm really inundating myself with the books this year and, and just loving it. Yeah, you read a bit more fiction than I do. Um, quite a bit. Um, so are there any other ghost stories that we have to make time for, do you think, during this, this season? So for ghost stories, I really recommend the Notting Hills Editions book titled The Wrong Turning, Encounters with Ghosts, that was introduced and edited by Stephen Johnson. So a ton of writers are collected in this anthology, including... Some of the hits, we've got Henry James, Ambrose Bierce, Emily Bronte, and um, then some lesser known folks who I personally love, like Tove Jansen and Charlotte Perkins Gilman. So uh, it's a really beautiful collection. It's just scary enough. <laughs> it really hits the mark. And if you want a, a good ghost story anthology uh, with a lot of variety... I definitely recommend The Wrong Turning. I'll also just go ahead and plug Notting Hill Editions that New York Review of Books puts out. They're really gorgeous books that make incredible oh. gifts. They're cloth bound and like have a like an emboss and the bookmaking is mm -hmm. clearly there. They're very passionate. It's so fun because it's a it's the size of a mass market paperback, but it's a little cloth bound hardcover. And so I love that combination of the small smallness of the book and the hardcover. It's really, really fun to hold and, um, and to read. So yeah, it's a great press. Thank you for the rec, Claire. Totally. How about you? What have you been doing this oh my gosh. spooky season? I've been such a weirdo. Um, <laughs> I, so I read, you know, and this was a pretty great, book for the season the song of the dead by pierre reverdy mm -hmm. and that just kind of threw me in like off in a tangent and so i've been reading everything i can get my hands on um so i know that there's a new york review of books 
Poets series that has some selected poems by Pure Reverdy. The Song of the Dead is a Black Editions title, and it's just so metal and so dark <laughs> and so within. Um, and I feel like it's been such a great collection of poems to read. But it was, you know, a lot of these incredible writers, the Surrealists and the Dadaists, wrote from this place of devastation. And I just really connect with that as I, as I, you know, as we experience grief and yeah, reading work from this place that I could relate to. And I mean, I think that's what great literature does that it, mm-hmm. it illuminates and brings to light some of these really confusing and challenging emotions. And so I just kind of spun off and like have been doing that, but um, I, also just bought and started reading The Wall, um, which is a title oh, from New yeah. Directions. And, that looks so cool. And, you know, there is there is that characteristic of sci-fi that can be horror um, based on, on the perspective or the story that's being told. And so, oh, yeah. yeah, it's someone just crosses the wrong side of an invisible wall and can't get back. And so it's exploring loneliness and communion with nature and and so there's been this tinge of horror um Mm -hmm. but completely dove in for the spooky book that I picked for today yeah and you know what you're saying just reminds me that you know some of this spooky season stuff is so hokey um or it seems hokey and maybe even a little bit like a tinge disrespectful to grief and to actual loss. I do think though that there's like a Venn diagram where they intersect a tiny bit. I do think that these ideas about the afterlife and these ideas about even something as hokey as ghosts, there's a spectrum of hokiness. (laughs) And on the other end of that is where you take it, you can take it very, very seriously and, You know, I'm reminded of the Day of the Dead, Mm -hmm. Mexico's celebration of the Day of the Dead and several other iterations of that that idea in different cultures across the globe where I feel like that's where the Venn diagram is, where it meets the reality and the fiction of it. And it becomes something that's not hokey at all and where you are actually leaving out an offering for your dead relatives or loved ones. And you are recognizing their presence in your life, regardless of their physical absence. And whether or not you think that's because they're still here because they're a ghost or because their presence is so big in your life that it will never be gone. I think it's a beautiful thing. And so <laughs> even some of the silliness in the in the ghost tales and the the monster tales, I think all of it has a root somewhere embedded deep within our psychology and our spirit and how we deal with death. And sometimes we need a metaphor, you know, or we need a ritualistic act or a symbol to be able to grapple with something so major and so difficult and so just unknown, right? Like the ofrendas are like a way to make your loved one's death sort of familiar and known to you and just a part of your life. It's a yearly ritual Instead of this big, scary thing that's so tragic, you could never even take a moment to contemplate it. 
Um, that is a really rambly way of saying uh, that I don't take any of this lightly, nor am I saying ghosts are real. <laughs> it's sort of a combination of all of it in my mind that wherever you're at with it, it's a way for us to try to grapple with loss mm-hmm. and death. That is so beautifully said, Claire, because, you know, my world is small and <laughs> and my year as well as yours has been so full of loss. And so it has been this kind of tricky dance of being like <laughs> witches and skeletons and ghosts and right. pumpkins and, <laughs> and just kind of, you know, just being like skeletons are triggering um, yeah. or yeah, just it's been challenging, but I have been leaning towards just work that isn't, not that it's serious, but that like has depth to it, that is grounded in, in reality a bit. Um, and not to say that it's like, you can't like play with the skeleton puppet or something, but it is heavier and it is weightier. It is something that there's a depth to the season now that like, I'm not so sure that I had in the past, but it does make literature even more important than it's ever been. Um, I understand some of these poems or poets or books that I'd enjoyed in the past in a very different way. Yes, I totally relate to that. And the people we lost this year believed in the power of literature like no one else I've ever known. Yeah. Um, so there's something to that, I think, in our that we are now experiencing it in a way that is just closer. We're closer to that power because we've experienced the the loss that is being explored. And most great literature explores loss. Yeah. <laughs> That's a big statement, but I stand by it. And um and sometimes I you know, my friend Dean Young, who passed away this summer, I've been reading his poems and he's so irreverent. And you know, the hokiness of playing with a fake a plastic skeleton that's something that you could pull right out of one of his poems but there's regardless there's still this core in it of deep sadness of deep mourning and he was a master at being able to hold all of that at the same time and so I guess that's part of why I really believe in it too is because I've seen it done (laughs) inexplicably by a poet who I just I loved very deeply. So, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. (laughs) I don't know what I'm saying anymore. (laughs) Well, you know, on that note, there's this series from New Directions that just came out called the Storybook Series. And they're these slim books that are designed to look like, like children's picture books. And I don't know if it was, was it called the golden book? Yeah. The golden book. They kind of I look like those. golden books. Yeah, they do. There's a Yoko Tawada book. That's the one that I read. There's a Laszlo Krosna Horkai, uh, Helen DeWitt, just these huge, like heavy new direction, heavy hitters. And 
they're designed for you to read them in one sitting um, in yeah. one afternoon. And so they're supposed to be really satisfying, just really fun books. Oh, there's a Clarice Lispector one too. Um, mm. They know what they're doing. They knew how to, yeah. <laughs> they knew how oh, to and they're beautifully. <laughs> they're beautifully made. They're, they're, it's such a cool series. So I picked one up. And so I've been reading that. And the title that I got was Three Streets by Yoko Tawada. And the story from there that I loved the most was, you know, they're all ghost stories. <laughs> but the okay. one that I loved the most was this story about a little ghost boy. And it's not like, oh, my God, you're a ghost. It's just like this ghost kid that is like <laughs> asking for treats at a grocery store and <laughs> just kind of coexisting. And I really found a lot of comfort in this just very casual ghost story of yeah. doing something really mundane and <laughs> what that experience might be like. And so I could read a little paragraph just to like paint this portrait. But it's the first story. So there's three stories in this little series and they're all named after different streets in, I believe, Berlin. And the first story is titled Kolwitzstoss. And that little paragraph that I thought would be fun to share with y'all starts here. Oblivious to these thoughts of mine, the ghost grabbed the box of chocolate kisses and tossed it into the cart, the hint of a smile on his pale face. His eyes were sunken, and the skin beneath his nose was much too dry and wrinkly for one so young. Gripping the side of the shopping cart, he gawked around. His arms were so thin, they didn't seem to be attached to his shoulders. And while his chest caved in, his stomach stuck out. Definitely not a child of this age. He desperately searched the shelves for sweets he knew. He probably couldn't have cared less about the hundreds of rich new candies that lined the shelves. Ghosts, it seemed, did not devote themselves to devouring the future. All this child wanted was to recover a single thread that had slipped from his grasp during his very slender life. Oh, that's a gorgeous passage. Yes. And it makes me think of, you know, we talked about Dia de los Muertos just mm -hmm. moments ago about how those who have left Earth in, in a physical form, you honor them and remember them by, by leaving them treats and yes. their favorite things. And that this ghost didn't care that there was like state-of-the-art chocolate now that is 3D printed or whatever. But <laughs> he just wanted the box of chocolates that he, you know, and in the story, it's like whether he had these chocolates or always coveted these chocolates, like that's in question. Right. That's what he wanted. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that thread. I love that idea of the thread that's still tethering them to this life and the familiarity of something like a little treat mm. being part of what connects this spirit to the body they used to have. Yes. Uh, also, in terms of ghost descriptions, that was amazing. And so, so many unexpected details. I loved the upper lip or the skin beneath the nose was too wrinkly for a child that age. It's such a weird 
gross but cool detail and the arms so thin that they didn't seem attached you know it's a really it's a really strange description and that's really refreshing and that makes it feel less hokey and more real right that this this is not just another ghost story it's a writer really getting into the oddness of the, the concept of a spirit living on beyond its physical form yeah this is a really sweet just interesting portrait so these are all portraits of streets in berlin that have ghosts in them and you know they have some surreal elements but mm-hmm. there's a casualness to it that i i kind of liked Yeah, that makes it feel real, too, I think, the casualness. It's not some ghost on a cosmic mission. (laughs) It's just like, I'm here, you're here, you have money, I don't have money, I want chocolate, you're going to buy me chocolate. Um, Yeah, a lot of fun, but... Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's such a fun one. I love the idea of a one-sitting read. That series is so cool. So, what's it called again? Storybook storybook series from new directions super cool yeah what offerings do you bring to Ah, us today i also read somewhat of a one sitting read maybe a two sitting read i brought a book titled a phantom lover by vernon lee and while that was first published in 1886 This particular edition is brand new. It came out through a new small press called Creature Publishing, and I really wanted to highlight them. So here's just a little bit about them. They're a a feminist horror press based in Brooklyn, New York, and they were our booth neighbors at AWP this year. That's crazy to think that that was this year, (laughs) earlier this year. We had such a blast Uh, hanging out and talking with Olivia, who is their publisher and editorial director, and she was the one running their table at the book fair. And so I wanted to highlight this press for a few reasons. One, their books are really beautiful and just so aesthetically pleasing and super exciting work that they're publishing. Two, their mission is something that's very dear to my heart. They founded this press on a passion for feminist discourse and horror's potential for social commentary and catharsis. So they want to address the gender imbalance and the lack of diversity uh, in the horror genre and um, give a platform for some authors who are writing in that genre today who uh, are challenging that status quo. So I think that's a really cool mission statement. And then Lastly, Olivia was just so cool and so great to talk with. She came over to our table. We went over to her table and bought books. And here's a a little snippet from her bio, just so you can know how cool she is. Uh, (laughs) Olivia's path to creature publishing included a lifelong affinity for weird creatures of all kinds, a passion for discovering and supporting new writers, and a decade of experience in the publishing industry and countless cups of coffee. (laughs) So I love her little bio on their website, um, creaturehorror.com. But yeah, they only have six books out so far, so they're just getting started. I personally would like to own all of their collection uh, eventually, and I'm pretty much already halfway there with the haul that I got at AWP this year. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, this is a a new press to me and pretty new press 
to the world focusing on feminist horror. Cool. I obviously I remember their mm-hmm. booth. They were across from us. Um, you know, there's hundreds of vendors at AWP every year. And I remember feeling very lucky that we had such a rad yes. group across uh, from us. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm glad that you were such a great patron to them and <laughs> thought months ahead about what you're going to be reading uh, this season. Well, this book really stood out to me because Creature Publishing is is publishing a lot of contemporary writers, but this is the first book that they published. And I think that they wanted to resurrect this author's voice as a kind of ancestor of, you know, that this this has been happening for a long time. Women have been writing or, or non-male authors have been writing in the horror genre for a long, long time and trying to challenge the status quo in literature in general, but definitely in the genre. And so they resurrected this title as their debut publication, A Phantom Lover. And I had never read Vernon Lee before, and I'm really intrigued by her now that I have read this. That's a pen name, actually, and her her given name was Violet Paget. She was a queer, intellectual, feminist, and pacifist writer, and she wrote groundbreaking works on topics from history to travel to music and supernatural fiction. So she's now widely respected among her cohort, including H.G. Wells, Edith Wharton and Oscar Wilde, (gasps) just to name a few. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So it's just not a name I'd come across before. And to see her listed among those greats, I was like, ooh, who's this? (laughs) Wow. I'll tell you a little bit about the book. It's a shorty. So like I said, if you really wanted to spend the day with it, you could read it in one sitting. And I thought when I was first selecting this that it was going to be like a a love story between a ghost and a woman but it turns out it's more of a story about strange desires and this kind of infatuation with as I read it with the past Mm. um and one thing that's kind of striking about it as a story is that it features a very unlikable female protagonist which is also so refreshing <laughs> because we don't often get just a straight up unlikable female protagonist who is complicated and not just, you know, some old witch or something, right? She's a strange one. So it's about Alice Oak and she's our unlikable protagonist. She's, in my estimation, not an easy character to define. And in the span of these hundred pages, she's only only gets more complicated as the story goes on. Her desires are really intense, but unlocatable. And the story is told through the lens of a painter who has come to their house, their villa out in the countryside to paint her portrait. So it's a male. The male gaze is, is very intense in this book as it's all told through his perspective And he's very drawn to her, though, even though she doesn't really want anything to do with him and won't sit still for to have her portrait painted. So that's sort of the lens through which we see her. But she seems inexplicably drawn to the past. So there's these portraits in their grand hall of some of their ancestors. And she shares a name, Alice Oak, with one of the ancestors painted on the wall. And she wears her dresses and reads through the love letters that this other Alice 
received from her secret lover in her lifetime. And that's where the obsession is, is it's hard to tell if she's obsessed with the lover, Lovelock was his name, or with Alice herself. And then there's also this eerie, uncomfortable thing where you can't really tell if she wants to be this Alice or if she's in love with her, which is weird. But yeah, it's seen as a queer story because of that sort of extra shade, which is quite strange. Oh my God. I'm really excited. (laughs) She's just so badly behaved. And I love that about her. That's amazing. (laughs) What, what year was this originally written? 1886 is when it was published. I don't know why that felt important to me but yeah i just love a a bad girl from the you know Mm. yes from the 1800s uh me too and it's funny because it's set in the 1800s but they're talking about the past and this family has kept the wardrobe of all of their deceased relatives and so they have these rooms up in the house that are just full of these dusty old like basically what are costumes now and there's even a scene where they try them on a bunch of people come over and they have a little ball and they try on all these old costumes um super creepy and super fun but it's like thinking about when those costumes or when the the wardrobe is from it's probably like the 1700s or even earlier so Gosh. it's old timey in a way that i love yes okay i'm gonna read a passage for you And again, we are receiving this story through the lens of the painter who is observing this couple he's staying with and we're in his interior dialogue. So the first time that Mrs. Oak seemed to become at all aware of my presence as distinguished from that of the chairs and tables, the dogs that lay in the porch or the clergyman or lawyer or stray neighbor who was occasionally asked to dinner was one day... I might have been there a week when I chanced to remark to her upon the very singular resemblance that existed between herself and the portrait of a lady that hung in the hall with the ceiling like a ship's hull. The picture in question was a full length, neither very good nor very bad, probably done by some stray Italian of the early 17th century. It hung in a rather dark corner facing the portrait, evidently painted to be its companion, of a dark man with a somewhat unpleasant expression of resolution and efficiency in a black Van Dyke dress. The two were evidently man and wife, and in the corner of the woman's portrait were the words Alice Oak, daughter of Virgil Pomfret, Esquire, and wife to Nicholas Oak of Oakhurst, and the date, 1626. The lady was really wonderfully like the present Mrs. Oak, at least so far as an indifferently painted portrait of the early days of Charles I can be like a living woman of the 19th century. There were the same strange lines of figure and face, the same dimples in the thin cheeks, the same wide-open eyes, the same vague eccentricity of expression not destroyed even by the feeble painting and conventional manner of the time one could fancy that this woman had the same walk the same beautiful line of nape of the neck and stooping head as her descendant for i found that mr and mrs oak who were first cousins 
were both descended from that Nicholas Oak and that Alice. But the resemblance was heightened by the fact that, as I soon saw, the present Mrs. Oak distinctly made herself up to look like her ancestress, dressing in garments that had a seventeenth-century look, nay, that were sometimes absolutely copied from this portrait. "'You think I am like her,' answered Mrs. Oak dreamily to my remark, and her eyes wandered off to that unseen something, and the faint smile dimpled her thin cheeks. "'You are like her, and you know it. I may even say you wish to be like her, Mrs. Oak,' I answered, laughing. "'Perhaps I do,' and she looked in the direction of her husband. I noticed that he had an expression of distinct annoyance besides that frown of his. "'I'll stop there.' I could go on, but... Oh, my gosh. I really love the writing. <laughs> yeah. it. I'm sure I'm wrong, but it feels kind of contemporary. It feels a little bit more modern than I would have kind mm -hmm. of expected. So it feels like it flows. <laughs> it's such a beautiful flow to the writing. Yeah. It's kind of funny <laughs> at times. And um, she's just so shitty to her husband. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny. Um, but yeah, she's extremely unlikable she, and she's extremely difficult to know through the work. And that's kind of what the painter concludes is like the only way he can really get to know her is by this weird connection between her and this woman in the painting. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very eerie, strange book, but in a really subtle way. It's, you know, there's no gore or, or crazy things that happen. Um, maybe a few at the end, but... Uh, it's subtle. It's it's sophisticated. It was really a delight to read. Yeah, it sounds like it might be more like a psychological or like it just kind of makes you curious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, definitely. Hmm. Yeah, it it brings to question to me this this notion of now what we have with celebrity and access to to celebrities, and I'm sure that everybody that has an Instagram account or an online presence has had this experience of like, um, am I just like amazed by this musical artist or this actress? Um, or do I want to be her or do I mm. love her? Like there's this, mm -hmm. we have this opportunity to kind of mimic styles and the way we speak and the things we read and what we watch based on our love and admiration for these icons that are in our culture. But you got to think back to the 1800s and be like, aside from literature and like social dynamics, mm -hmm. who did people mirror themselves mm -hmm. from? And it makes, it's almost like, of course you would be obsessed with your amazing great ancestor who had these hot letters <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and it was like interesting it, it's yeah. almost like who could blame her right well and there's an actual ghost who gets involved and it's it, it's really fun because you think that she's just kind of a kooky uh, a shut-in type and then it, it turns out that you know there's more to it of course but wow. but I loved her character and yeah, highly, I highly recommend A Phantom Lover by Vernon Lee. Love a slim novella, love a ghost oh, story, yeah. love a complicated woman. 
Um, yeah. Well, I feel like we did the damn thing. We did it. Well, thank you, Claire, so much for making time for us, um, you know, in our busy our busy seasons and busy schedule to share your spooky season traditions and what you're currently reading and um, dedicate some time to remember and honor Joe yeah. and yeah, come together today for the podcast. It was my pleasure. And thank you for all the same. Things. <laughs> <laughs> it felt really nice. Yeah. Bye. 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 Bye.